0: Here Be Dragons is a podcast of Christ City Church in Vancouver, B.C., Canada. Here, we'll aim to talk about what it means to faithfully follow Jesus in our post-Christian context, all with the aim of making mission disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you'd like to know more about Christ City Church and get connected to a neighborhood church, you can email info at ChristCityChurch.ca. Well, welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast. My name is Jake. I'm joined once more uh, by Quentin Jenis talking today about death, dying, suffering. Quentin is a doctor, and we established last episode a bioethicist, uh, maybe, yeah. answering and asking questions uh, around all these things, uh, serving in our city. So glad to have you again, uh, Quentin to talk about these things. Um, I, I guess maybe the first question we should ask and answer is, is why talk about death, dying, and suffering? Uh, why is this an important uh, arena for us to be thinking biblically about?
1: Yeah, that is a great question again, as I (laughs) always say. Um, I think, as I've said before, these are questions that everybody answers, whether consciously or unconsciously. My mom used to always say when we were growing up that you vote with your feet, which is to say that um, on lots of issues about the way you live your life, you can't sit on the fence. Even if you think you don't know, by making choices one way or the other, you enact certain values and you um, subscribe yourself to certain kinds of stories. Mm. And the truth is, is that all of us will die, Um, all of us will will suffer um, in our lives, and something will inform our narrative of what those things mean. Right. Whether that is informed by the church or by the sort of water that we swim in in our broader context is determined by a number of things, One obvious thing is whether or not the church is willing to speak about those issues. That's certainly one of the things, um, not to go back to the course, but one of the things that makes me excited about having the opportunity to be part of leading a a course at Christ City, to say you know, there was a change to the law in Canada recently that allowed for what we confusingly call MAID, but allows for doctors to intervene with the intent to end the lives of patients. That is a thing that was seen for hundreds of years as being profoundly immoral, And within the past five years has now become legal. If we don't talk about it, then inevitably our views of that issue will be formed by other things than the church. And so I'm excited about coming to the table as Christians. And again, disagreeing sometimes and engaging in a way that's joyful and humble. But coming to the table and saying, what do these things mean? If we don't talk about it, then inevitably our lives are going to be shaped by factors other than our uh, tradition. Yep. And so, you know, certainly the, I think the dominant unconscious view in the, you know, watery swimming in Vancouver is for people to ignore the fact that they will inevitably suffer and die for as long as possible, and then to find themselves faced with unendurable existential uh, suffering when they find themselves looking at their own mortality in the face. And that unendurable existential suffering often leads people to uh, want an out uh, yeah. of some kind. Um, but the Christian tradition should give us a richer approach to that. Yeah. It, should, it should teach us to um, see suffering and dying as enemies, um, but enemies that we pass through on the way to resurrection, mm-hmm. uh, enemies that uh, we can become like Jesus by enduring in certain kinds of ways.
0: Yeah, so let's maybe take this in stages, maybe yeah. beginning first with sort of like the biblical understanding of death, dying. Mm-hmm. Um, what does the Bible have to say about this? What should we take from the Bible uh, and learn and glean in our yeah. own life? And then we'll go to sort of where we're at today. Yeah. And you, you talked a little bit of our cultural cultural impulse like away from these things yeah. and to ignore or minimize yeah uh, and then maybe we'll go to specific sort of not issues uh, you know in depth as it works yeah. i don't know you want to talk about that in the course but if we can start with maybe the biblical vision like what does the bible say about death dying that'd be really important for us to highlight and to know as christians That that's maybe maybe we we know it maybe vaguely but it's yeah. important to really emphasize that will help guide us going forward what, what would be important to start with yeah in that respect Gordon?
1: so i think maybe uh headline we should talk a bit about genesis and then obviously we should talk about jesus <laughs> um yeah. so i think the the garden of eden story is in some ways a bit of a, a, a funny story uh, i don't mean humorous but it's a bit of a peculiar story in, in in ways that the the text says that when adam and eve on the day that adam and eve eat of the fruit they will surely die and then when they eat of the fruit and they're uh, exiled from the garden they don't die uh, mm. immediately in the sense that we commonly think about dying but that illustrates something that in, in the Bible there is there is death and there is death, so to speak. That mm. uh, death in the form of our physical bodies being subject to decay and death is one thing that yep. um, some people think entered the world with the fall and other theologians uh, think that there may have been a natural process of natural dying um, and ultimate resurrection that was potentially present even in a pre-fall world. And that's a bit of a side point. But then there is dying. And that's like the New Testament says, like, don't fear the one who can kill your body, Mm. Um, but fear the one who can produce real ultimate death. And that death is separation from God. And God is not just the creator, as in someone who like set the pendulum swinging of the universe and then stepped back. God is the intimately involved ground of our being who sustains my being and your being Mm -hmm. moment by moment. Apart from God, there is no me, Augustine says, God is closer to me than I am to myself, which Mm. I just love. Um, But in the Bible and in this Garden of Eden story, there is death. And on the day that Adam and Eve eat the fruit of autonomy and say, we're going to go our own way, death, separation from God uh, enters the world. Mm. And that uh, is the fall. Yeah, <laughs> that is is the the unspeakable tragedy that fractures yeah. uh, the universe and, and the world in so many ways. Yeah. Um.
0: Sorry. And and then you have in that Genesis account too, sort of like a creator creation creature like sort of distinction. Yeah. Too that you'd want to highlight as well. Yeah. That, that we're not this infinite, right. you know, creator being. We are the the, the, the creation. But also it's interesting, I mean, especially as you read in the Psalms, I think the psalmist says somewhere, and this is not a thing to say as a pastor, but I'll say it nonetheless, somewhere he says, you yeah. know, Te- teach me to number my days yeah. and I may gain a heart of wisdom. Yeah. And so you have death also as like this sort of like teaching yeah. method that, that, that kind of reminds us of these things. Maybe speak a bit to that as well, too. So how Christians have thought about death as something that reminds them and, and draws them back to God, both in the Old Testament, New Testament, and throughout their tradition.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's a really important thing to highlight in the sense that uh, death is an enemy. Death, in terms of separation from God, is something that uh, enters the world in the fall. Right. But part of being mortal creatures, uh, as the kind of creatures who are not infinite, who are limited, is dying um, and death is something that teaches us the the value of life Mm -hmm. Um, and that um, like uh, there's a one of my favorite poets whose name is Gertrude Schnakenberg she says death alone makes life a masterpiece Um, and this idea that um, all of us acknowledging humbly and with maturity that we will die that we are not infinite that can teach us um to sort of live to the fullest and i'm not a a yolo person sort of by aesthetic but um this idea that like um our lives in this world really matter and they are limited and i have a limited number of days um and that makes my Life and what I do incredibly important, mm-hmm. and you know people often think about like Hamlet, and they think of the people contemplating a skull. Sorry. People often think about oh, Hamlet. Like, no May, would, maybe sorry. in your world, yeah, no. people <laughs> are like often quoting
0: Hamlet and yeah, Shakespeare
1: sorry. to one another. Uh, my world is more Power
0: Rangers, <laughs> okay, Lego. Yeah. But again, I would like to hear more about this fantastical world you live in, where Hamlet is being recited right. to one to another. That's o- a good o- point. Over dinner, over candlelight, I assume. <laughs> right. Yeah. Continue. Um,
1: but people often think like people have some awareness that in medieval world, people had skulls on their desks and that seems right. very sort of macabre. But in, in some sense, or that certainly was a Christian tradition, like this idea of like remember that you will die. And people had these objects called memento mori, which is like a memento of death. Mm. And so there are plenty of sort of great Christian thinkers who would keep skulls or other things that were reminders of death around them, yeah. which was not because they were morbid or because they wanted to die or anything like that, but it's because that... That, like you say in the Psalms, um, part of human wisdom is acknowledgement that we are not infinite creatures.
0: I, I, I say to the, the the Christ City preaching team each Advent that we should do medieval Advent themes. <laughs> are you familiar with the medieval Advent themes? <laughs> a little themes? bit, yeah. One of them is death. Yeah, I think the other the, one of them is hell, mm-hmm. and one of them is judgment. Right. So I was, hey, it would be fun, you know, when <laughs> you to do the themes of medieval Advent. One yeah. of them is death.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that there is a um, there is real important to Christian reflection on these issues, even, uh, you know, both you and I are relatively young, but mm. even at a young age to, to acknowledge, to, to remember that I will die and that I will be forgotten in this world and right. that my hope is not in me living forever in reality or me living forever in human memory. Um, and the reality of death is a reality that we do not celebrate in right. any way, right. but it is a reality that can teach us to be more full human beings, like Jesus, who died, was a full human being, um, more human than I will ever be.
0: Yeah, so move now from Genesis uh, yeah. to Jesus. Help us understand.
1: Yeah, so I think, and again, I referenced this last time, but I really think that sometimes we, I think, you know, people know that we want to apply the Bible to our lives when we are ethical mm-hmm. or when we think about how to be ethical. Yeah. We know that that is a challenging thing to do, and that applying ancient text appropriately to contemporary life is a difficult thing to do. But sometimes we overplay that second point, and we say, oh, it's so hard. When in reality, sometimes what scripture says is actually quite clearly applicable if we're willing to listen. Mm. Um, and A clear example of this, again, is the life of Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, He encounters the reality that he's going to die. And he does not celebrate that. He is not Mm. some stoic who tries to sort of bite his lip and um, go silently uh, to his destiny. He grieves and mourns and suffers anguish at this reality. And yet he submits himself to the will of the Father, even... Onto a, a horrible death mm. on our behalf, and there is a, a very there are very pragmatic lessons to learn from that. That all of us, when we encounter the reality that we will inevitably suffer and die, of course that provokes anguish and sorrow and uh, anxiety and those kinds of things. But the life of Jesus is a is a very clear teacher to us that our response to that is not to seek to rashly avoid existential suffering. Right. Um, not to uh, go seek medicine uh, as the the way out of existential suffering through one means or another, but to look in faith to God.
0: I think you're touching on something that's really, really important here. So on one hand, you're saying like death and suffering in in, in and of themselves not to be celebrated. Yeah. Uh, At the same time, Mm -hmm. you're saying death and suffering in and of themselves, not to be avoided mm-hmm. at, by all you know means yeah. by all avenues. Can you explore that a little bit? Because I think that's sort of yeah. where we're at culturally. Totally. Is like how can we avoid? Yeah. All these things.
1: Yeah. Um. I'm gonna quote Stanley Hauerwas here again. Um, He, in a letter he wrote to his godson, um, is talking about the church in Germany in the 1930s that obviously was a church that went astray Mm -hmm. and ended up colluding with some horrible historical atrocities. And he says uh, this about, that church that went astray. He says, they sought unconsciously to be as free as possible from suffering. And as a result, lost their ability to live as Christians, their desire to avoid suffering resulted in greater suffering. And Mm. then he turns to his godson and he says, so I do not wish you will have an untroubled life, but I hope the troubles you confront will be those made necessary by your being a member of the body of Christ. Mm. And I really, um, really believe this is important for us to hear. Even as Christ City, we're a church, relatively speaking, at least South Van of young families, Um, people who, in general, I mean, from what we see, are are reasonably uh, healthy. We're not confronting death in our community. Smoothie
0: drinking people.
1: Yeah, exactly, Um, on a day-to-day basis. But it's very easy in that context for a a kind of a prosperity gospel message to creep in that mm. our church is thriving when everyone is healthy, uh, when no one is getting sick and dying. Mm. And that's what life in Christ looks like. But that resembles any sort of fitness club or other sort of, um, you know, things we might found, find in our city around us. Do we have enough faith to suffer? Do we have enough faith as a community to faithfully support people when they get sick and don't get better? Mm. Do we have enough faith to not get better? Um, which will happen to us all right, uh, right. W- once in our right, lives. Right. Um, and so in that sense, when we as a church, unconsciously or consciously, seek to live lives that avoid suffering as if suffering was, yeah, the th- the purpose of our lives was to avoid suffering, that results in a loss of our witness. Um, and over time, it can result in in greater sufferings when we're not there to try to mitigate the suffering that happens in the world Mm. our call like jesus like the early church is to go to the places where people are suffering Mm. and to display compassion for them and compassion literally means co-suffering passion means suffering compassion is not a feeling compassion is not a general disposition to be you know to look at people uh, warmly, mm-hmm. compassion is a gritty, embodied, stubborn persistence mm. to bear the burdens of other people. Mm. And so the the role of the church when we see people who are suffering is to go and to be near with them and to s- find ways to suffer alongside of them. And again, none of that necessitates saying suffering is good right. um, or that suffering and dying is not an enemy. But we are we become immature as Christians when we unconsciously think, you know, a good life with God is a life where I don't suffer and I have a long, peaceful life and I'm happy all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, so many of our historical forebears were people who were insistently running um, to the places where they were, you know, where they were people suffering. Mm-hmm. I read a book a little while ago about a, a journalist who was like one of these real adventure war zone journalists. And I, I forget the name of his name, uh, or the name of the book, but he, over the course of his uh, career became a Christian and it was sort of his memoir. And the thing that made him become a Christian over time was that he found there was always nuns in these places where there was like civil war wow. and, you know, famine and suffering and pandemics and all of these kinds of things. You know, when the doctors were running away and and, and all people who had any means were escaping. Mm-hmm. He would go to these places to do coverage and he would find these 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 crazy nuns who were just there and who were neck deep and, you know, and sinful people themselves and sometimes mm-hmm. trying to help and making mistakes. All But they were there. Mm-hmm. Um, can I, can
0: I pick up on that? Yeah. Because I, I think it goes back to our previous episode talking about compassion fatigue. Yeah. So we have a group of people who are taking, you know, Christian virtues of humility and yeah. and patience and, and trying to live into these. Yeah. But without the resources to do so. Totally. Right. And so when we go and when those nuns go and when you go to, the, you know, to St. Paul's, like you go as someone empowered by, by the spirit yeah sustained by the spirit totally someone in christ christ who suffered yeah and and died and wept like on on your behalf like you find yourself in him doing these things i i wonder if that's a a missing link for us in in terms of talking about how we co-suffer with people it's it's not a matter of just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing it but a matter of doing this as those who are joined to christ with all the resources of christ
1: yeah and i think um Again, to reference Stanley Harawas again, um, he sort of describes... This is actually Stanley Harawas podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's now. It's the, actually the fan podcast. changed the title. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he sort of talks about doctors, and I think you can broaden this to healthcare providers, as people whose broad commitment to other people can be described as people who are willing to be present to suffering consistently. Mm-hmm. I, as an emergency room doctor, cannot make everything better. I probably probably it's a minority of the time that I can make things better, um, but at minimum, what I can always do is to be present with someone who mm-hmm. suffers. Um, but that is a very difficult thing to do over and over and over and over again. And the language, like all of the literature that's grown up around the compassion fatigue conversation sort of presents compassion as this eventual emotional exsanguination, like a bleeding out that, you know, you, if you bleed a little bit for every patient you see, and you see 30 patients a day, five times a week for years and years and years, eventually you're going to, you're going to bleed out. Right. Your your tank is going to empty, and you're going to experience, you know, feeling jaded and depersonalized, and like you don't care anymore. And and to some extent, that's correct. Without something to fill your tank again, so to speak, it is not sustainable, um, and people inevitably feel burnt out. And mm-hmm. that is and Howard says this that without the resources of a Christian community, that kind of project is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so for for someone like me, like. I could not do what I do without coming to Christ City on a Sunday morning and hearing that I am a sinner who needs forgiveness mm-hmm. and taking communion and talking to my friends from CG, and all of those things right. that are uh, yeah, tangible examples of what the Christian community is.
0: So let, let me change uh, course here a bit, Quentin, because if you're, you're listening or watching right now, you're thinking, hey, here are two young guys talking about death and suffering and dying. Mm. Like, is there a way we can think about these things as Christians more appropriately without going through them ourselves? Hmm. Or, or like, like, how do we actually learn, like, what the Lord thinks about these things? Or, you know, we read it in the Bible, we learn from the scriptures, but how do we actually grow in our own hearts this compelling vision of, of being with those who are suffering um, I know you mentioned your work at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe speak more broadly to like the, the church with some general
1: not practices, but yeah, I would say in terms of practices, the probably the best way to grow into it is to develop specific practices of compassion, of mm-hmm. being close to people who are suffering profoundly um, and of finding ways to, try to bear their burdens, uh, which is a difficult thing to do and takes creativity and, uh, time and sweat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I love that mother Teresa, again, if you can't feed a hundred hungry people, feed one. And I think that if we want to, to grow in what it uh, means to suffer in a way that produces perseverance, which, which produces faith, um, we should find ways to place ourselves alongside people who are suffering um, and to learn to love them, to respect them. Um, And certainly for me, a big piece of that is my, my practice at St. Paul's, but you don't need to have any, you know, any training to do that. You can volunteer at a hospice or you can, you know, work with uh, Jacob's well or another volunteer organization Mm -hmm. in the downtown East side. Um, or there's an endless list of, you know, if, if it's refugees, if it's single parents, there, there's people around us in our city who are suffering profoundly. And the way to learn how to how to suffer ourselves is to is to place ourselves alongside them, not voyeuristically, not against believing that their suffering is a good in and of itself. Sure. Um, but in learning to be compassionate, um, we will suffer um, uh, and we will learn how to suffer yeah
0: um, can you talk a bit about like Christian and ho- Christians in hospice care and how that's worked both historically and even now like like what does that look like
1: yeah um, and'm I'm, I'm not an expert in palliative care certainly you've had Margaret on who's uh, who will be way more than me but I think it's important to emphasize that hospital comes from the word hospitality and The original hospitals or many of the original hospitals were things that were founded by Christians whose fundamental commitment was not to cure disease always, Mm. but was always to display hospitality to those people who suffered. And that dovetails nicely with what I said earlier about the fundamental commitment of a doctor. I can't always make people better. It's probably the minority of the time I can make people better. But the fundamental commitment of what a hospital was, was a place where people who are in pain or suffering can come for care.
0: And that's changed. Yes. So when I think of a hospital, yes. I think of going, like I go to the Apple store and buy my right. iPad, totally. I'm going to go to the hospital and buy my bill of good health. Yeah. Right. Or not, I guess, I mean, you know, if you're in the States, you're literally buying it. But if you're in Canada, like, you know, Trudeau will buy it for you. Um, you like I'm going to the hospital, like that's yeah. the cure center as it were. And um, you're saying that's a shift.
1: Uh, yeah. And I think there's like, there's a whole rabbit trail of really interesting um, reasons to talk about with that. But I totally agree with you that the when people come to the hospital there's more of a uh yeah of, of a focus on cure there's certainly more of a focus on sort of medical technology right. and those things and yeah i think in that sense the focus of what a hospital is has shifted not all of that is bad um but it is an important shift sure. to note yeah. the hospice movement and again hospice is sort of a parallel word in some ways is a relatively new movement and palliative care there was a it came out of england in the sort of 20th century, um, but came out of a similar feel of this sort of an original hospital movement. A place that displays hospitality and care to people who are dying mm. and to people who have life-limiting illnesses, whose fundamental goal is not to cure disease, but to produce health insofar as health is possible within a person and their the family, which is the unit of care, in end-of-life situations. Right. and we in our society especially in the west have sidelined death and dying to being an invisible thing and so many people die alone in hospital rooms uh, Mm. instead of in their homes and we certainly have much to learn from people in other areas of the world in different societies where people die at home Mm. um and and societies where that happens are probably in some ways more mature um, about their approaches to suffering and dying um
0: I know it, just even speaking anecdotally for a second, I think of, you know, people in my church who've been in hospital during the like the COVID yeah. sort of, you know, world that we live in. And the inability to go and visit them and to yeah. sit with them. Totally. Has been heart wrenching. I mean yeah. I mean probably more so for them than than for me, but that inability to kind of co suffer with them. Totally. Has been very, very um it's been hard.
1: Yeah. Totally. And I do think that they're um when I've had experiences with loved ones in my life who have died and people I know who Mm -hmm. have had the opportunity to care and to, to suffer with their loved ones while they died, that is not fun. That is not good, but it can be profoundly sanctifying and formative. It is good for us as people. One of my, um, Real sort of beliefs with regards to this is something that T.S. Eliot said in Four Quartets. And he said, and he was referencing something a bit different, but he said, We only live, only suspire, consumed by either fire or fire. And I love this idea of um, we live lives that will entail s- certain kinds of suffering. We are going to be consumed by fire or fire. Um, we can be consumed by the fire um, of co suffering with other people, which is real suffering Mm -hmm. and it can be profoundly difficult. But if we live lives that try at all costs to escape uh, existential suffering, that is what over time produces these feelings of burnout and depersonalization Mm -hmm. and anxiety and feeling jaded and all of these things. And uh, the opportunity to care for people who are suffering um, does enrich us and make us more mature.
0: I I think that's a really... That's, I think that's super profound. Like, what we think is like this, these sort of self preservation techniques where we're going to pull back or self medicate, Mm -hmm. actually, in the long run and even in the the, the short return, Mm -hmm. like only you know, seek to be a fire, you know, return out to be a fire of their own, yeah, and only do do damage to ourselves in in certain respects,
1: totally. And I think, like, this is not a criticism of of, uh, any particular movement, but certainly, in the we can name names here, just just go ahead for it. Um, but certainly, in the context I work in, there's a lot of you know, language of if you see something that's really stressful, work on your mindfulness or your box breathing or do some yoga. And that makes me mad. So yoga is what you're criticizing. No, I'm I'm not against yoga. (laughs) But but if I see a young person who dies or who suffers a severe injury in my care, I should mourn. Yeah. And if I was the person who was caring for them in the last moments of of their life, it is appropriate that I grieve mm-hmm. even if that person was a stranger to me before I cared for them and to say like oh well if just you know do half an hour of yoga and you'll be fine like th- that's that's psychologically shallow um right. that produces people who are consumed by the fire of trying to just you know stuff it down and not feel who right. eventually will feel burned out right but feeling the fire of allowing ourselves to meaningfully grieve mm-hmm. when we witness suffering is the preferable fire, so to speak, and over time is the kind of suffering that produces perseverance, which produces hope.
0: So we've kind of talked about part of the Christian story when it comes to death and dying. Yeah. We've Genesis, Jesus... We got lost a little bit there after Jesus, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and we're, and we're, but but I mean, you know, Jesus' life is not the end of the story. Totally. I, I want us to frame this conversation. Of course, we have to in view of like the resurrection totally. of Jesus of Nazareth, totally. yeah. uh, the, the hope of our new resurrected bodies, totally. uh, that though these bodies are you know failing and yeah. flaking away, and totally. you know. You know yeah. like, Falling apart, mm-hmm. uh, we will have a new resurrected body. Not, we will not be ethereal spirits totally. for yeah. eternity. We'll have new resurrected Jesus like bodies. Yeah, so let's talk about that and, yeah. and the way that that ultimately informs the yeah. conversation of death and dying.
1: And this is, this is sort of goes back to what we said last time. To be embodied is a good thing, mm-hmm. and our hope as Christians is not that we are, you know, we have bad bodies with good souls and that our hope is that our bodies will die and our souls will float off to some place called heaven that right. is not the christian hope right. our hope and i love the language studying first corinthians right now the language of paul in first corinthians where like our body is a seed mm. and we will burst forth into this flower or plant and yeah. who could predict what the flower would look like by looking at the you know the little kernel right. of the seed but our hope is not for disembodiedness Our hope is for a redeemed and a perfected embodied life in Christ. And that totally um, informs how we see our embodiedness now, that Mm -hmm. our embodiedness is not something to try to escape. Um, It is a good thing. And stewarding our bodily health um, is a good and appropriate and an ethical thing to do. Um, And that the decay of the body and death is not a good um, mm-hmm. is not something that we celebrate or permit we do everything we can to relieve suffering mm-hmm. um, as we co-suffer in those things our goal is again not to say suffering is great um, or to minimize suffering but to co-suffer so as to relieve suffering of other people um, because it is good to be embodied and it is good to be healthy and it is good to be free of pain right or in as little pain as possible
0: yeah yeah, so I, I I guess, like, how do we bring that to, like, the everyday? Like, like how do I live, like, my life today? I mean, yeah. like let's bring it, like, a very granular, if we can. Yeah, It, may, it might be inappropriate to do that. No. But, but let's make it very granular. Yeah. The, the hope of resurrection body, I think, to many people listening right now, is just, it's it's up here. Right. How do we bring it down here? Like, what, what are some very simple ways? What are ways that you've even experienced in your life that are brought to, like, the lived everyday part of your life?
1: Yeah, I think, like, certainly... If, part of that for me is like is practices of of prayer mm-hmm. um and and embodied prayer like i think praying on your knees or those kinds of things to is good but also to remember in prayer that we are finite creatures who are mm-hmm. not uh independent of each other we're not independent of god uh, we are creatures who will die but who are learning to live and suffer and eventually die in hope mm-hmm. of resurrection mm-hmm. Also, um, to develop practices of Christian uh, worship and community that promote joy in embodiedness. Mm. And I, like our community group through Christ City, there's all these little kids. And when I sort of watch all those little kids just playing with balloons and, you know, climbing all over each other and and enjoying being embodied creatures, that is such a, a... a reminder of the joy and that will be fulfilled in resurrection life. So maybe that's less granular than... No, no, but
0: I I think it's really relevant to where we are right now. Like, by and large, with the work-from-home movement, uh, with many church gatherings being moved online, all these sorts of things, I mean one of the things that we talk about often as a staff team is, is how do we encourage as much as it is possible, as safe as it is. And, you know, according to the current restrictions, how do we encourage like that embodied interaction? Yeah. And I think it's for precisely the reasons we, we've talked about here yeah. is that there is something profoundly different about being totally in the embodied presence of yeah. another.
1: And I feel like that's one thing I would encourage people if if people are looking to grow in compassion to those kinds of things, find an embodied way to serve other people. Right. And that certainly has helped me grow in, in my practice as a physician. And one thing that if you had asked me about this a few years ago, I would have said is is hokey. But now I do all the time is I touch all of my patients, mm. obviously with their permission. Sure. Um, but even if people come in for something that doesn't require a physical exam, I even if it's just a hand on their shoulder right. or like a, I shake their hand or like I really have come to believe increasingly of the, the power of being together physically mm-hmm. and of appropriate, comforting, affirming, physical mm-hmm. touch even. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it's so easy, you know, in the world of like social media fundraising and stuff for people to feel like they're being compassionate through all these disembodied forms, which aren't bad. Often sure. they're very good. But I do think it's it's an important spiritual discipline to engage in embodied charity. Yeah. And that can take a million different forms. There's all kinds of amazing you know, opportunities, uh, some through our city and all right. kinds in our city. But I do think engaging in some kind of uh, embodied presence with yeah. people who are vulnerable or suffering in different kinds of ways is important for the Christian life.
0: I, one of the things I thought was interesting when we were going through 1 Corinthians 3 mm-hmm. um, and Paul's, Paul's you know, he's he's saying to them, something to the effect of like, you know, I'm writing to you now, but I'm sending you, right. uh, and, and whoever it is in, in, in that part of the epistle. And and for Paul, like he wasn't content like just just having a ministry via letters. Yeah, like his hope is to raise local. Yeah, uh, eldership. His hope is to to send someone to them to convey, you know, in his body, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the message. Even this past week, First uh, Corinthians five, mm-hmm. Paul says you know, he has this vision of his union with Christ, and because he's united to Christ, he's present, you know, bodily to pronounce his judgment mm-hmm. uh, over this brother who's obviously fallen into to sin. And so, yeah. bodily presence. I think Paul's often used to say like, well, yeah you know, Paul did his whole ministry you know, through letters. And uh, Paul's deeply concerned with like the embodied local ministry yeah. of, of people being with each other yeah uh, and serving each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I really think... Um, to quote Mother Teresa again, she yep. would she would always tell her nuns. This when, is a Stanley
0: Harrawas and, and Mother, Mother Teresa Therese, actually, podcast. And
1: I have a Marilyn Robinson quote on deck, which is we're going to advertise Marilyn Robinson in uh, a minute because okay. she is my hero. That's good. Uh, but Mother Teresa for now. So she would um, tell her nuns whenever they saw someone um, carried in off the street for for an equivalent of hospice care in their environment, she would tell them to tell themselves, "Here comes Jesus in his most distressing disguise." And I love this idea of. In each other, we meet Jesus, but this idea of Jesus in disguise, that some people it's easy to see Jesus in, um, and some people it's harder to see Jesus mm-hmm. in for a variety of reasons. Um, but this idea of sometimes when people are you know, suffering a lot, um, it's very distressing to see them suffering. But to learn to see Jesus in them is a practice that takes embodied engagement. It's hard to do yeah, that via, yeah. you know, via Zoom or via, you know, those kind of initiatives. And so finding ways to place ourselves in embodied fashions close to people who suffering is good, not just sort of good so that we can become more, but good so that we can learn from those who suffer, good so that we can come to, you know, admire them. One story I think I've told you before but I think is very germane here is I saw a patient who is a, a gentleman who lived in the downtown east side a few months ago at St. Paul's. And he came in because he had a bunch of glass stuck in his foot. And uh, he was a bit irritable with our triage nurse. He was a bit irritable with me at first. And he definitely wasn't a, an easy person to see Jesus in, in terms of just the kind of initial interaction I had with him. But eventually he sort of, you know, I asked him, can you tell me why, why you're here? How I can help you. And he said to me, he said, you know, I used to be, I used to be homeless and I used to not have a job. But over the past few months, um, I've got a place. I've got a job. And as part of this job, they gave me two pairs of shoes. They gave me a pair of working boots. Uh, and someone also gave me a pair of sneakers. And I was walking home. He still lives in the downtown east side. He was walking home from work through the downtown east side. And he said, I saw a guy uh, who was sitting on the curb in the middle of you know Vancouver December who didn't have any shoes. Mm. And I thought to myself, how can I have two pairs of shoes if that guy has no shoes? And he gave this guy sitting on the curb his pair of shoes. And then he walked home with bare feet and he got glass in his foot. And then he came to emerge and he swore at the drink. <laughs> you know, like those kinds of things, which is such a St. Paul story. Mm. But when I when I hear that, like mm-hmm. that makes me think of, of Jesus looking at the woman who who gave her her last money to the temple. Yeah. And all of the, all the righteous people who donated a bunch of money, Jesus was like, who cares about them? And that woman who gave her, you know she was the one who went home righteous before god mm-hmm. and and i am the pharisees you know mm-hmm. like i am someone who who lives in a house and i go and you know and i help and i give a little bit and then but but that person is is the holy person mm-hmm. so i don't go engaged in an embodied fashion to say you know i'm the good person i'm here to get more holy right. Right. i'm here to encounter jesus in that man so that i can learn from him and become more like him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in that sense, Christian compassion is not a, we are the church and we are, you know, holy and we are going to descend from on high to get even holier by engaging with people who suffer. Mm. We are the ones who need Jesus mm-hmm. um, and who need to meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. We are the ones who are foolish and lowly. And this, again, picks up some of the Pauline language of 1 Corinthians. Um, we are the ones who are as, as fools and the way we become more like Jesus and learn to become more wise is by encountering and and recognizing Jesus in his most distressing disguises.
0: Yeah, and so while every impulse you might have, uh, in the, especially in this day and age, is to remove yourself or to medicate yourself. Yeah. Uh, but there's actually something uniquely profound and transformative, I think, is what you're saying mm-hmm. uh, in co-suffering with people. I want to give you an opportunity, quickly <laughs> Can I? Is that okay? To to use that Marilyn <laughs> Robinson quote. Because uh, I know you've been itching to yeah. do it, and so you know.
1: So Marilyn Robinson is my hero. I would just say that off the top. Right. She's if a, she wants
0: to come on the podcast. Yes, if you are to listening
1: her. to this, you are <laughs> my version of a celebrity. I don't admire like actors or politicians or Marilyn whoever. Robinson is is a writer. Yeah, she's an American writer yep. and a Christian thinker. Um, she mostly writes fiction, but she writes some books of essays. Um, I named my daughter after one of her uh, books. So i'm a big fan I'll, yeah. I'll stop at that i love marilyn Robinson. one of her characters says sums up i think what i've been bumbling try towards saying in a way that's uh, better than i could say so one of her characters says this my faith tells me that god shared poverty suffering and death with human beings which can only mean that such things are full of dignity and meaning even though to believe this makes a great demand on one's faith and to act as if it were true in any way we understand is to be ridiculous. It is ridiculous also to act as if it were not absolutely and essentially true all the same, even though we are to do everything we can to put an end to poverty and suffering. I have struggled with this my whole life. Mm. And I just love that the character like articulates this like thorny. And then he just says, I've struggled with this. And I think that is, that is a good place for the church. Mm. Um, to believe and affirm the dignity of those who suffer, to do everything we can to relieve that suffering, and to exist in that that tension. Yeah,
0: yeah. Quinton, I, I, I appreciate you so much coming on the podcast, lending your expertise uh, as a doctor and as a bioethicist. <laughs> Uh, and, and for serving us in the church this way. I want to, again, just remind you, Quentin and, and Kendra, in part, will be teaching a four-week course, which you can register for uh, on our website. So excited about that. And for the, sort of the, the deep dives you will do in that course on some of the more sort of controversial uh, headline-grabbing uh, issues of our day. And so, Quentin, thanks so much for coming in and, and chatting with us.
1: Yeah, it has been a real pleasure. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of our Here Be Dragons podcast. If you'd like to listen to other episodes, you can find them on Spotify or iTunes. You can also find sermons from various Christ City neighborhood churches on our website. See you next time.